Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic, overseeing our toxic phase one and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Adrian Lesmana, a pediatric hematologist and medical oncologist, as well as a medical geneticist here at Cleveland Clinic Children's. He's here today to talk to us about pediatric cancer predisposition. So welcome, Adrian. Thank you so much for the invitation. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Maybe to start, give us a little bit of an idea. What's your role here at Cleveland Clinic? Yeah, so I joined Cleveland Clinic in um, end of 2020, uh, immediately after I finished my fellowship training. So just to give a background, I was trained as clinical geneticist first. So I did my combined pediatrics and genetics training at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And then I followed that training with uh, three years of fellowship in in pediatric hematology oncology at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. So my role here, um, I am a medical geneticist and I'm also a pediatric hematologist oncologist. So my appointment uh, are both in uh, pediatric hematology, oncology, and clinical geneticists. So as clinical geneticists, you know, we see a variety of other genetic conditions, but because of my background and my additional training in PETS-HEMONG, um, I am focusing on pediatric cancer genetics. Uh, I also see adult patient with cancer genetics, but my main focus is pediatric patient with cancer genetics. All right. So, so let's start from that point. So pediatric cancers, um, we're going to talk about pediatric cancer and predisposition, genetic predisposition. So tell us a little bit about what, what do we know? There's multifactorial sort of causes of most cancers. Um, pediatric cancers, are those more or less likely to be genetically driven? Yeah, so pediatric cancers, um, you know, is, as we all know, is definitely different than adults. You know, the spectrum of uh, cancers in pediatrics is different. And then the uh, underlying uh, drivers uh, for carcinogenesis is generally different than adult. Adult-related uh, cancers usually are multifactorial. There are 5 to 10% that are genetics, but majority of them are multifactorial related to environmental exposures and lifestyle changes. And in adults, as they get older, you know, they continue accumulating more uh, mutations throughout their life through an exposure to environmental agents or toxins or chemicals. But in pediatrics, they don't have that much of time to accumulate so obviously, that's always a possibility that there are some carcinogenic uh, agent that they were exposed early in life. But some of these patients actually also were born with a genetic mutation that put them at risk to develop cancers. And multiple studies that has been done in the past one year uh, consistently identified about 10 to 20 percent of every pediatric cancers. Um, talking about from birth to um, a young adult, about 18 to 25 years old. They were born with 10 to 20 percent of uh, of a germline alteration, some something that they were born with uh, that predisposed them to get cancers. When we think about uh, these genetically driven cancers in pediatric patients, um, are we mostly thinking about solid tumors or hematologic cancers? That's a great question. I think you know multiple studies identified that as cumulative findings. You know, all together, uh, as you mentioned, is 10 to 20 percent. But each different type of tumors, they have different rate of finding of germline predispositions. The highest one that we have identified so far is usually in, in patients with, um, with solid tumor. 
Uh, and again, within that solid tumor, there are different subgroup of solid tumors where there are more germline predisposition syndromes, certain type of sarcomas, for instance, or even brain tumors. So patients with brain tumor, uh, about 20% actually have an underlying germline predisposition. But, and we can dissect further, you know, depending on the, the pathology of, this, uh, of the brain tumor, there are certain type of brain tumor that actually predispose someone to, to have um, higher chances of having a germline predisposition. Leukemia is about 10 to 15 percent. So um, when we talk about pediatric cancers, you know, the most common one, the two most common one are CNS tumor or brain tumor, and then the second one is leukemia. So certainly you can see germline predisposition both in solid tumor and leukemia, but the, the percentage is different. So, and, and again, just to, because uh, we may have a variety of people listening in to, to just define some terms. How, how do you define a familial cancer when we think about genetic predisposition? Familial cancers, obviously, those are clustering of cancers within a family. So then we need to define how extensive is that familial relationship is. So we typically define familial if there are involvement in, uh, in first degree relationship, uh, but involve three generations. So that will say um, pro, the proband, which is the patient's of interest, could be a baby of uh, maybe a 15 months old or, or two years old. And, and, and this baby might have a parent or uh, which is above, one generation above who has cancer or an aunt or an uncle who has cancers. And then one step higher than that, which is the third generation, will be the, um, the maternal or paternal grandparents. So those are considered as familial if we can see multiple cancers within that three generation uh, from the, the patient of interest. Tell us a little bit about some of the research you're doing in terms of determining some of these gene predispositions. You know, after practicing um, as clinical geneticists and seeing these familial cancers, despite very um, extensive medical genetics evaluations, oftentimes we still couldn't identify if there is any known uh, genetic predisposition. So, uh, what I meant by extensive clinical evaluation is including a genetic testing. So there are variety modality of genetic testing. You know, um, uh, there are genetic panel, there are whole exome sequencing, or more robust uh, genetic sequencing. But there are still patients or families who are clearly having clustering of cancers in their family, but we could not identify all the genes that we could blame it on. So these are my research interests. Uh, my focus in research is actually collecting families with clustering of cancers in their family, but we could not identify a faulty genes at this point. Uh, so at Cleveland Clinic, I was lucky to be sponsored by Palosano. I received a grant uh, from Palosano in 2021 to help funding uh, this study. So we are currently recruiting um, families who, uh, who are out there that Feel like there are so many family members affected with cancers, but uh, we could not yet identify the germline predisposition. They will be eligible to be enrolled in the study. And what we do in this study is actually we are doing a um, comprehensive genomic sequencing. Uh, most likely, the samples that we are going to uh, use is blood because that is very easy and accessible. Uh, and then we will uh, collect the samples not only from the individuals within the family who have cancers, but we also collect samples from uh, other family members not affected to serve as the control. So hopefully we'll be able to, to um, increase our ability to identify these um, uh, faulty genes um, 
through um, extensive genomic sequencing. And then I guess uh, for the, the purposes of the study, are you, are you focusing on a particular type of cancer or are you looking sort of broadly at a number of different cancers? Yeah, so just as a background, there are over 100 different types of cancer predisposition syndromes right now um, uh, recognized. Um, and the number is actually increasing as we do a lot more genomic sequencing in pediatric cancers, we uh, tend to identify newer and no, uh, novel genes. And the same thing with, um, with my study, um, we will not limit the type of cancers that the family has. And even if we look at known cancer predisposition syndrome, for instance, you know, the one that quite well known is Libromini syndrome or LFS. Uh, the type of cancers that runs in the family, it's not limited into one certain type of cancers. You know, they can be solid tumor, they can be hematologic malignancy or leukemia, lymphoma. So I think when we just focus on one certain type of cancer, I think we're going to miss this clustering of, of uh, families with clustering uh, of cancer. So we are going to look at the family as a whole and not looking at individual type of cancers. Very good. I guess just to, to backtrack a little bit, you'd mentioned that, um, you know, oftentimes you would do genetic screens, you would do sort of standard panels and you'd miss things. I guess I, I always have these discussions with patients about genetic testing and I always encourage people if they're interested in genetic testing to, to actually talk to a genetic counselor or a, a medical geneticist. Maybe I can get your take since we have you as, a, as, a, yeah. as an expert here. The dangers of going to the internet and picking up a test kit and sending it off and trying to do your own research. So, yeah, I think, you know, direct-to-consumer genetic testing obviously are very, uh, you know, accessible these days. You know, everyone can order it from uh, their fingertips and, and all they need to do is just submit their saliva samples or a buckle swab and they get all the information. So I think um, we will obviously will not control and don't have the ability to control this, but um, I think there is a need to educate our uh, community that, uh, that this result of genetic testings are not necessarily uh, screened or, or evaluated or reviewed uh, by a medical geneticist or a professional uh, genetics provider. So I think we need, just need to be mindful about getting all of these results. And if you look at the fine print for many of these direct-to-consumer genetic testing, there's clearly a sign that this is not a recommendation for or treatment or plan. Um, and definitely there's a, a danger of doing uh, direct-to-consumer genetic testing without providing a, a, a solid genetic counseling because that can be misleading and that can create a lot of anxiety, um, not only for the patients, but or, or other family members that might think that they also need to be tested as well. So if they think that there is a clustering of cancers running in their family, and if they think that there are something underlying um, uh, this predisposition in their family, I really encourage them to see a medical geneticist or a genetic counselor uh, specializing in, in, in cancer patients. Um, because the type of testing that we are sending is not the same one that, that uh, the direct-to-consumer testing uh, will be done. Um, so there are certain hints from the family history that um, might give us a clue, like whether this is a concern for a familial cancer or germline predisposition syndromes. For instance, if there are multiple family members um, affected uh, with the same type of cancers or different type of cancers or early onset of cancer. So let's say 
uh, if someone diagnosed with breast cancers in their 30s or early 40s, that's that's definitely concerning. So in addition to multiple cancers in the family, you also need to look at their age of onset. Uh, and then also whether this is the correct sex for that type of cancers. For instance, male with breast cancers, that's very rare. So uh, if you happen to have that type of cancers, um, then then you would need to think uh, closely if, if there is an underlying uh, cancer predisposition running in this patient or in their family. And the same thing with, with children. You know, when children develop uh, adult type of cancers, that is also concerning. So we have a patients that uh, develop uh, leukemia or LGA leukemia, which is very rare in the pediatric sites. That's the type of cancers uh, that give you hints that might be something else going on. And I guess the other thing to clarify, so, you know, anytime we think about genetics and testing and just to, to clarify, we more and more, uh, on at least in solid tumors, for instance, we're looking at genomic markers and next generation sequencing of the tumor and looking for keys to treatment, for instance. And sometimes I uh, have to, to have the discussion with patients that, you know, there's genetics that involve the tumor, but then there's genetics that involve you. And so what we're talking about today is more um, the patient's own tissues and, and, and DNA. Right. Yes. And I think, you know, with the advancement of uh, next generation sequencing and how they are very accessible these days, um, especially in the adult, it seems like everyone's now ordering tumor profiling for every uh, adult patient with cancers. There is definitely an opportunity from this uh, tumor profiling to identify a germline for dispositions. So when we're, when we are talking about tumor profiling, the modern type of tumor profiling is not only including the sequencing of the tumor itself, but we also sequence their normal tissues. So for instance, for someone with solid tumor, we can collect their peripheral blood as a control, as the normal control. Uh, by sequencing both of the tumor itself and also the, uh, the their normal uh, tissue, which is blood, uh, there is opportunity to identify mutations that is actually present in the blood, which means that not only in the tumor cells. Um, so that's indicating there's 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 a germline mutations, meaning a germline mutation is mutation that present in every single cells in your body. Uh, with the tumor profiling, um, you know when we identify mutation, we always Think that the mutation is only present in the tumor, but with, since we now also sequence a normal, there's a chance that we, we also identify that this mutation is also present in the healthy tissues, which means that it's a germline mutation. So certainly there is opportunity to identify, and I think more, um, more vendors right now also reporting uh, germline findings, um, which can be actionable, meaning the presence of that germline mutations might also predict respond to certain type of uh, medication. For someone with BRCA2 mutation, germline mutations uh, found from tumor profiling, uh, they might be uh, sensitive to PARP inhibitors. So there are certain type of patient that will benefit from a certain medication when they were found to have a germline uh, predisposition. And that's just from therapeutic standpoint. From And obviously, there's also counseling implication when you find one family members uh, to have a germline predisposition, you need to share that. You have the responsibility to share that information to your other family member who, are, who might be also at risk to have that genetic information. So possibly that you can offer the same testing to other family members. And if they have not had cancers, there are surveillance guidelines uh, for this patient who are identified to have germline predisposition and at higher risk to develop cancers. That's from the adult side. When talking about the pediatric side, it's 
the same concept applies, but but it's a little bit more complicated because there is a possibility that we are identifying a germline predisposition for an adult onset of cancers, right? So from this tumor profiling, you might identify uh, your patient actually has a germline BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation where they are at risk to get breast cancer. So it poses some ethical issues should should we offer this uh, for pediatric patients because they might, you know, technically they, they are minor, uh, and for this type of uh, onset disease, we don't typically offer for, for minor or carrier unless it does impact their management at that time. So I think the key to that question will be a good genetic counseling. So we always need to counsel our family even before sending tumor profiling. Uh, we need to educate them. There's a possibility of finding a germline predisposition, not only for this current cancers, but for other cancer in the future. And so that's, uh, that's a great overview. And and it's a good example of things like BRCA and and maybe risk for for subsequent cancers. I guess when we think about the work that's been done previously to identify some of these predisposition genes, um, has it had the biggest impact on screening, on selection of treatment, early diagnosis? What do you where do you think this has made the biggest impact so far? Um, I think so far, if we talk about adult, uh, um, I think there are some data out there that the, the identification of germline predisposition affect treatment. So we certainly started seeing that. We in the past always think that identifying germline predisposition on not really affecting their treatment, but more of surveillance for future cancers. Uh, but there are certainly data out there that the identification of germline predisposition potentially alter their treatment options. I would give you one example for our patients with leukemia, for instance. Um, patient with leukemia, uh, pediatric leukemia, I'm talking about childhood leukemia. Some of this leukemia can develop because the child has a germline predisposition uh, to develop that leukemia. One instances of genetic condition where they, they are predisposed to get leukemia is Fanconi anemia, right? So patient with Fanconi anemia, they are at risk to get AML and other solid tumor when, when they grow older. Uh, so by finding this germline predisposition um, of their condition, meaning that we find that this patient actually has Fanconi anemia, we will modify their treatment option when they are undergoing treatment for their leukemia. And if the patient happens to be needing bone marrow transplantation, we need to modify their conditioning regimen because they will fall apart if you use the same conditioning regimen as if this patient doesn't have a germline predisposition because their cells will be very sensitive to certain chemotherapeutic agent and they will sustain too much of uh, toxicity from, from the chemotherapy. So their, uh, their germline findings might inform uh, the best potential conditioning treatment for their transplantation. This, that's just one uh, example. And obviously, that's from therapeutic standpoint. And as I mentioned earlier, there's also benefit from counseling other family members and informing future cancers. And as far as surveillance goes, unfortunately, not every cancer predisposition has a clear <laughs> cancer surveillance guideline for a well-known or well-defined cancer predisposition, predisposition syndrome, such as Lipromini syndrome. Clearly, we have a well-defined surveillance guideline, but that these are not always available. And this is the role of a medical geneticist or cancer geneticist to meet with the family, inform the result and discuss their risks uh, for cancers and come up with a, a surveillance guideline that is reasonable to be followed by the family. What do you think are the biggest gaps that remain in terms of making forward progress? Is it coverage for testing? Is it access to, to medical geneticists? Um, 
What, what do you think are the biggest gaps that remain? Yeah, uh, great question. I think the answer is all of the above. So I think um, access to, to genetic testing is certainly still a problem. Uh, it, we might not see that as much here if we are talking about Cleveland Clinic because everyone has pretty good access to uh, genetic testing. But some other states, you know, outside of Ohio, uh, they might not even have a uh, genetic counselors, uh, especially those specializing in cancer genetics, right? So obviously, access to genetic testing and, and, and genetic counselors or any genetic providers are still limited in certain part of the world as well, not only talking about the United States. Coverage. Talking about coverage, I think uh, in the adult world, um, there are clear guidelines, uh, especially uh, from the NCCN as far as who can get genetic testing. But there are limitations on who can get this testing covered because uh, most payers will only cover testing if it's mandated by the NCCN guideline. And clearly, the NCCN guideline is not the most comprehensive guideline out there. And I'm glad to hear that. I think with the Cancer Moonshot 2.0 that was recently launched again by uh, President Biden, there is more money delivered uh, to do more studies and investigation. And I think the goal is to have more open guidelines uh, to make genetic testing more accessible, not only for those who have cancers, uh, but also other family members who might be also at risk, you know, because current NCCN guideline only mandates those affected, but will not cover the relatives who has cancer. So I think expanding that coverage will also help us making sure that uh, the, the delivery of care is uh, reaching more patient populations as well. So as you've noted, there's a need for more research, and um, I'm happy to hear that uh, Velasano is uh, supporting your current work. I I'm going to shamelessly promote uh, Bellisano as the medical director. So if people want to find out more about what we're doing in terms of getting money for cancer research, they can go to www.bellisano.org and learn more. Yep. And I think we have upcoming uh, events in the next few months. Well, thank you for being with us today. You've uh, provided some great insight. Thank you for inviting me. To make a direct online referral to our Tosic Cancer Institute, complete our online cancer patient referral form by visiting clevelandclinic.org slash cancer patient referrals. You will receive confirmation once the appointment is scheduled. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash cancer advances podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our ConsultQD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.